Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back, everyone, for episode 84 of Freight 360. We are officially booming into spring all around the country here. And we've got a special produce episode today. Speaking of spring and the, the changing seasons here, we've got Dean from DAT with us again. Dean, welcome back, sir. It's great to have you. Morning, Dean. Love being on the show. Thank you, guys. Great to be yeah. here. Awesome. And uh, hey, if you guys are brand new here, welcome to Freight 360. If you've been with us for a while, welcome back to Freight 360 for another wonderful topic today. Make sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you get our latest content every Friday morning, dropping at midnight and share us with all your friends. We've we've been hitting some, some unprecedented statistics on our SoundCloud uh, stats lately and got a lot of listeners, a lot of downloads every single day and every single week. So thanks everyone for your continued listening and, and support. And we've gotten a lot of good feedback from the, the video content we're putting out and the blogs and just about everything, Ben. So um, good stuff. We're, uh, we're making, making strides here. So first of all, we're, like I said, we're going to talk about produce today at a, at a very low one or I guess a high level one-on-one level, or I guess low, I don't a know. Contradiction in terms, but <laughs> yeah. we'll start with an introduction, introduction then level. We're into- and then yeah. we'll get into some of the minutia with Dean in regards to what's happening in the market and where the opportunities yep. are. But but first, we got to talk about some sports really, really quickly here. So yep. the Masters finished up last weekend and uh, Hideki Matsuyama. Did I say his yeah. name right? Yeah. yeah, you did. Yes. First, he, first, I mean, uh, first player from Japan to win the Masters. Yeah. What a win. Get that green jacket. Yeah. yeah. It was a hell of a tournament too. I mean, I thought it was gonna be a lot tighter. Did you did you watch it on Sunday? Did you guys both see it? Did you see Shoffley put the ball in the water on I think it was sixteen? And uh Hideki lost a stroke that hole. They would have been one stroke apart with three holes to play. Right. It would have been an awesome not that it wasn't still a good tournament, but yeah. I was really hoping it was gonna get tight there well, going into the last I'm few holes. Pretty sure Hideki threw one in the water too. I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't I, I know he lost a stroke, but I think he, he did. He, he threw it in the water. I remember watching it. There was it was like one of the holes that had two had water in front and behind the hole, and he rolled off the green down into the water. But he didn't have, I think the guy he was playing with, is this Shoffley? Well, he had like, in the same group, but yeah, he was like, oh, a okay. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. That's that's right. I was thinking of uh Who's the guy that was playing with him? Mine just went blank. I think it was the Zalatoris, wasn't it? The Zal- other guy? No, who- no, no, no. Xander, Xander something was playing with him. Am I losing my mind here? Maybe. We could anyway. the internet. <laughs> I, either way, <laughs> the way that it played out, it could have it could have yeah. gotten wild. So like when when Hideki had that penalty, uh Zalatoris, who had already finished, went to the practice range and was keeping himself loose because he was oh. like, hey, this yeah. could, if he ends up, get, if he gets, you know, two over on the last hole or two holes or whatever, it's going to be a playoff match. Right. But it right. came down to that. He had to make a, he had to two putt from like 10 feet and he he missed the first putt, but it, you know. And by the, the way, the you putt were, to like, win was. They yeah. were in the same group. Um, Is it Xander Shofley or am I mixing yeah. two guys' names together here? 
Xander Shoffley. Uh, Shoffley. Said he was in the same group on Saturday and Sunday. For some reason, I didn't feel like that was. Regardless, it was a good yeah. Masters. I mean, good golf tournament. He he finished it great on Saturday. He showed up yeah. Sunday. I mean, he played fantastic golf. It was a great weekend to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And then in other news, the NFL is just, they've already committed to full capacity when they open up. So I know my Buffalo Bills announced it yesterday. They said we're going to have full full fans in the stands come uh, week one. So it's uh, it's interesting. I'm trying to think what else around the, oh, baseball. The Red Sox started 0-3, and I don't think they've lost a game since. Right. So. And the uh, the Bruins had a uh, a win against the Buffalo Sabres last night. Well, the Bruins also had a win and a trade against the Buffalo Sabres. What about the trade though? Like they yeah. had like three <laughs> for one or something like that. I was I think most of the trades that came in were on the power play at one stage last night. Yeah. So I looked at doing a <clears throat> a live bet against my own Buffalo Sabres and bet, putting some money on the Bruins, and I was like, it's not even worth it because it, it's so. It's so it was like a guaranteed win. So right, right, yeah. But uh, interesting, yeah. The Sabers right. are just I don't know. Yeah, had a rough year. Yeah, <laughs> I had a rough handful of years. <laughs> right, true, true. Boston has historically had a had a good NFL or NHL program. So yeah, they're pretty tough. So. They've been tough for a lot of years, right? Uh, yeah. To see uh, to see Lucic had his uh, thousands game in Calgary yeah. last night. And had a fight in center ice to mark the occasion <laughs> in, in NHL fashion. I love it. Yeah, right. Good stuff elsewhere around sports. I don't know. We're in that, uh, we're in that spring window where there's a lot going on. So <clears throat> good stuff. The NFL draft is at the end of this month. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to see uh, some of those deep, deep draft picks and who goes where and who's uh who's picking up what position. So good stuff. Not, not a whole lot else on sports. Let's talk about produce. Um, obviously Dean, we got you in here from DAT as our subject matter expert when it comes to trends and analytics and data and all kinds of stuff. We, we love being a partner with DAT um, for all the listeners out there. I know we mentioned it on every episode. If you, if you don't use DAT, you want to check it out. You can get a free month. Just use the, the unique link in our episode notes. If you listen in iTunes, or wherever there should be a, a show notes portion and there's a three links you've got the dat power dat express and dat truckers edge so whether you're a broker or a carrier or both you can try a free month of any of those three products dat power is personally my favorite it's what i use on a daily basis so check it out in the show notes or you can go to uh dat directly on their website and learn more about them there or go to our website freight360.net so Produce. Let's get into it. All right. I want to talk about produce down at the 101 level. And a lot of folks that are newer in brokerage are a little intimidated by produce because Mm -hmm. not just the fact that it changes throughout the year and the seasons are cyclical, but also there is a higher level of risk when it comes to claims and um, products being spoiled or a reefer temperature not being set correctly or not being set to a cyclical setting on the actual reefer unit on the, on the trailer. So mm-hmm. produce overall is a, it's a, it's sort of a, 
you know, it, it, it's one of those niches if you want to go down that road and, and pick it that you can do yeah. very, very well as a freight broker if you learn mm-hmm. it. And there's a lot right. that that goes into it. Ben, did you did you personally do a lot of produce in your days? I did not. I was, in fact, that was the one thing that I didn't really get that involved in. I, I helped a lot of other brokers. I would move it from time to time, but I didn't have any direct customers where I was like specifically shipping produce. Yeah. I I have had a lot of experience with it. And the company I work for, Pierce Worldwide, we do a, a big chunk in the reefer market and a lot with produce. Our asset terminal is, is based in central Florida. So Naturally, that's going to be a, a driving <clears throat> a driving force behind the uh, the type of freight you're going to haul. So um, there's a lot that goes into the insurance side of it, what's covered, what's not. And, and there's um, a lot of specialization. Like there's yeah. a lot of niches within it. And it wasn't that I didn't want to. In fact, the only reason I wasn't in produce was because of where I worked. It was predominantly what <clears throat> all of the brokers went after. And at such a big company, there was just... I couldn't get any of the prospects in my names, but yeah. high margin, specialized, it's niche, knowing which types of equipment, how to pulp the product, <laughs> everything that goes with it. Like there are just barriers to entry once you get in that protect you and your customer. Like it's a fantastic aspect of the industry to be in. Yeah. So I will say as a caveat to the high margin, I, I want I want to differentiate between margin percentage and total profit dollars because there I've seen a lot of produce business that's cross country. And your actual percentage might only be 10%, but these are five, $6,000 line haul yep. lanes where they're making, you can make yep. five, $600 on them because they're going, you know, two to 3000 miles, or you've got multiple stops, but there's also some shorter regional runs um, where you might have a, uh, a produce distributor that has one pick and then four drops along the way. And there's all these, there's lumpers that go into it. And we've talked about lumpers before. That's basically where you've got a third party that's going to be unloading the, the product off of the trailer. Uh, you might have driver assist or driver unload involved in there. Um, these stops might be at really weird times uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. Um, and then you've got things like the the big produce markets, like in the Bronx, right? So you've got, you've got folks that have to drive and do their last delivery in these, um, you know, high population metropolitan areas where there's farmers markets, right? So there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It can get, you know, yeah. you get traffic, you've got low bridges, you've got tunnels. I mean, there's all, there's a whole slew of things. We're not going to get into that nitty gritty, but I want to talk yeah. about the cyclical nature of produce. Sure. Just so everyone can understand, right? And, and, I, and, we, then, and yeah, on. and I want, I was hoping that Dean can tie that into like, then what happens on the ground level, right? So you have the cyclical nature that happens with the harvest, but, as soon as that happens, you see the microeconomics where it literally changes the entire market, right? Like Florida, watermelons hit like all of a sudden they're offering $4 a mile and every other shipper is trying to pay $2 a mile. And you have this big, not saying issue, but it changes. It's very dynamic in what happens in the market. So I think there's some really great stuff for us to dig into here. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we we talked about it very, very briefly before we started recording the 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 cyclical nature of produce does not mean that we don't consume produce year round because we do consume, consume produce year round. If you go to the supermarket, whether it's in February or it's in August, you're going to have lettuce and you're going to have grapes and you're going to have cucumbers and potatoes and onions and kiwi, right? Avocados. But the question is where are they coming from at each point 
in the mm-hmm. year, right? right? The location of the actual growing and harvest, it, it shifts north as the weather warms up, right? I mean, it's that, it makes sense. As the weather gets warmer, the f- you know, the further north you go, you can start to actually farm and, and harvest produce. So yep. Um, yep. let's talk about, let's start with middle of winter when it's typically cold throughout the U.S., We've got a lot of produce coming in from Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> as we hit spring, so right around now, mm-hmm. you start to see more and more domestic produce harvest and seasons popping up. So, like for example, right now in April, what what and where does the produce season look like in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> it's uh, it's kind of a if you pull back a bit. You know, we, we go through winter, we're kind of coming out of winter where a lot of our produce comes from the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, so you'll see a lot of, even Moroccan citrus will come in uh, to Philadelphia. You'll see a lot of grapes from Brazil. You'll see a lot of uh, bananas come in from Guatemala to Houston. Um, and then but, and then you go further west, you'll see a lot more lettuce come from the winter salad bowl around Yuma. And so that Southern Ontario market right down through the, I can't remember the name of the valley there, the... Uh, Coachella Valley, there's a lot of produce comes out of there. And of course, California is year round. It produces 58% of our fruit and veg year round. So there's a massive market there all year round. But generally, if you think about um, the temperature that you mentioned, you know, it's much warmer in the Southern Hemisphere during our winter. So a lot of our produce comes in. And what happens though during spring as it starts to warm up, Produce sort of moves away from port markets like mm-hmm. like Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Houston, uh, even up here in Boston, we see a little bit of uh, volume come in from overseas. Um, and then it starts to move to more farm markets, more rural farm markets. And then you start to get into individual crop rotations and seasonality. And that's where you start to see this latitudinal shift from south to north as we go through April, May, June, July you go further north and you'll, you'll start with strawberries in, in Lake City, Florida with the Strawberry uh, Plant City Strawberry Festival, like a 14-day festival in February. And you'll end with cherries in Washington um, in the latter part of the year, uh, you know, around September and August. So uh, that's kind of how it works from a, a directional point of view. Uh, if you look at what's hot right now, uh, about, and I've just got the latest data from the USDA, but it's about... Uh, 55% of our current volumes of produce are coming in from overseas. Oh, sorry, uh, internationally. So it's Canada, Mexico. Okay. Right? So, so, but there's a shift that goes on now, and typically you'll start to see volumes from Mexico increase now right through, the, through May. And those volumes, I just looked at the data, 23% of the loads coming across the southern border were avocados, uh, 16% cucumbers, 14% limes. So you've got the, you know, uh, three things there account for the majority of the volume. Most of that volume comes across the McAllen market down at Far, Far Texas. Yep. Um, you'll, that's 33% of all truckload crossings are there in the uh, sort of deep south of Texas. In the Gallus area, is, right? Isn't that is pretty two. much where it all comes through? I mean, I remember the vast majority of that lane just on fire right at this time of year. Yeah, the Gallus is, is number two at 27% of the volume. Um, over the course of a year, right? So, mm-hmm. But it does vary depending on the crop and the market that it's going to. But you're right, Laredo uh, is number three. So, I was going to say, because uh, Nogales is West Texas and um, McAllen is Southeast. 
Texas border. Right. right. Yeah. So there's uh, border crossings are, you know, you can track them pretty reliably. Uh, I was down in San Antonio last week and that I-35 corridor, it's just nothing but, um, you know, Mexican carriers with refrigerated uh, units. And you can see so much of that volume running into Dallas for, you know, further distribution. Uh, so Dean, can I ask you something again? Cause you kind of had these, that was really interesting. So right now we have what asparagus, avocados, limes, Cucumbers. mangoes, melons, strawberries, and tomatoes that are coming to harvest or are being harvested right now? Well, avocados, cucumbers, and limes are coming across the border right now. Um, I th- I'm not sure on the others. I'll have to look at those volumes, but they're not in the top five right now. Okay. Though, especially tomatoes. So avocados, cucumbers, limes, limes. those are your big yep. ones. Yep, yep. And it's the big crossings. Are a third of the volumes coming through uh, McAllen. Uh, Nogales, Arizona is the other one where you'll see uh, a lot more volume. That's just south of Tucson from memory. So you what's that spike, the, Dean? What is it What is it going into this and what is it now to give us an idea? Like, do you even just have ballpark like load volumes? Like, is it 500 a day to 1,000? Is it twice the volume normally going into this? Like, where's the, just for uh, some benchmarks? Yeah, so you'll see, you know, coming across the border this week, there were close to 30,000 truckloads versus 22,000 domestic. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, over right. 20, 25, 30% almost more. Yeah. And, and what's important, though, is that, you know, 93% of those of all the truckloads are going to come from Mexico. It's a, it's a very small percentage that comes across the border from Canada. Um, you know, Canada's uh, 42% potatoes mm-hmm. uh, all year round, and, and it come, most of it comes from PEI. Uh, it's the number one province for producing potatoes in Canada. Is this something with so, the soil? Because Prince Edward Island, I, yep. I, I always found it so rare that that was a hot spot for potatoes. Yeah, it is. It's, it's soil and uh, just general climate for potatoes. Yep. I uh, see a lot of potatoes and onions uh, grow in the same, same markets. Yeah. Going what, back. What, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Dean. Finish well, that. I was just going to say, what's different, though, this year is that domestic volumes, you know, normally would be much higher, but because of the pandemic, the number of truckloads of domestic produce is down 28% year over year. And that, you know, that's significant in terms of how many fewer truckloads. That's that's the equivalent of about 9,000 fewer truckloads last week because the food service industry has been decimated by the pandemic and restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, so it's not even being consumed. That's the decrease. It's not like that. Okay. It's not like, hey, these were domestic and now these are coming international. Since we're not going to restaurants, we're not going to sporting events. Right. None of that, you know, guacamole at the- Not eating as many French fries. Not as much. So so this sort of leads into where things are going because as we open up and, uh, you know, we get vaccinated, we relax our social distancing rules and more restaurants start to employ more people warmer weather more outdoor seating so you would you would connect the dots and say oh of course more fruit and veg demand in the fruit and uh, fruit and food services sector so produce volumes should start to pick up on the domestic front and therefore that's going to put a lot of upward pressure on spot rates already high at the you know in, in the middle of april can I ask you a question? And I, I don't want to segue far from produce for a second, but when all these truckloads come up from Mexico, do they yep. deadhead back the majority of them? I mean, like the, the vast majority. Or are same they- cabotage. Yeah, same cabotage rules as Canadian trucks. They've got a load That's across the border. Yeah, yeah. So I, 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 start, I sat at a truck stop last week. I have this weird obsession with when I travel, I always go to a truck stop. And <laughs> I, I, I talk to drivers and, uh, and I watch what they do. 
and I watch the trucks and where they're from and, you know, you can, you can tell a lot about the industry from the type of trucks and where they're heading and what time of day. And I did notice that um, there was a high percentage of reefer carriers heading north. What I couldn't figure out was what's coming back south, um, but I would suspect that's more of a backhaul coming back out of that Dallas market uh, back towards the border. Uh, that's sort of a, a guess. But the beauty part, the beauty part of uh, the, the good part about reefers is you can all dry freight also. So you're, it's a very yep. versatile equipment. That's one of the things I wanted to bring up. Actually, it's a good point. Is that the uh, one of the advantages of a reefer unit is you you don't have to have that temperature controlled unit actually on in, right. in cycling, right? right. Um, you can haul dry freight. There is a lot that go, there's the, the food safety modernization act. So that mm-hmm. FISMA that's uh, FDA um, it's overseen or it's regulated by the FDA that, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, they say a lot of brokers are technically supposed to be certified on this. So they know the proper cleaning that goes into, um, you know, hauling anything that's perishable yeah. like that, because yep. Yep. you might have something that's not a food product in there that, could right. potentially cross contaminate. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. Yep. So there's you pros know, and cons. Cleaning the trailers. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, Good and stuff. on top of that, though, you've also got, uh, you know, the the so there's the cleaning requirements, but then also there's the the ag haulers hours of service exemption, right? Where you can run up to 150 miles, pr- provided you're doing. Yes. Budgets. Now, from a broker perspective, what that means is the carrier can do multiple pickups and drops at farms of very small consignments without incurring any yep. on duty time the downside is the carrier could be awake all day doing pickups on farms and then you want him to be where when you want him to be at hunts point at 3 a.m and so and i say that because i've most of my life in australia was hauling produce into markets and there is no more stressful freight than running markets market freight so I want to talk about it. Yeah, tell us. Yeah, I want to break that. down that egg exemption yeah. too, because a lot of folks yeah. I don't think they know about it. When the right. and this became a hot topic when we went to um, ELDs a few years ago. But was the was the egg, the egg exemption? If you don't know what it is, it's the agriculture exemption. So if you're um, let's break it down. It, it says if you're hauling within what radius, you don't have to. Yep. You don't have to follow the the hours of service rules. What is the radius? Yeah, 150, yeah, 150 miles, 150 okay. air miles. So that's probably going to be closer to 180 actual road miles. Right. Is that stop is, to stop? So like if you had three stops and they were like 138 miles and then 138 miles, does that keep stringing along the 150 no, miles? Or no, is it within a, a circle? I think it's from within. Uh, it's a good point. I actually don't know technically which stop it comes from. My understanding from talking to drivers is it's the it's the where you're loading out of location. So you've got to pick a point somewhere close to that. Got it. I think there's a gray area to that because I know yeah. <clears throat> I know folks that have lanes that run from eastern Pennsylvania. They go through Ohio and up into Michigan and they claim mm-hmm. that ag exemption. And yeah. that's more than 150 miles. Or they maybe it's a 150 mile radius from the center of it, yeah. but they're definitely driving. Yeah. Start to finish is a multi-day. Yeah, uh, you know, well, multi-drop. from a driver's perspective, this is really, you know, it's it's opportunistic but also dangerous, right? Because, you know, uh, reefer works a lot of live drop, live unload. Uh, you know, it, it's temperature controlled. It's time sensitive. Uh, you've got, you know, you've got to be there on time to meet the market with, you know, the grower wants to pick it as late as they can and the market wants it in there as early as they can and it's got to be fresh. That's the name of the game. So it's not like other non-perishable mm commodities um 
so that's kind of the you know that's the pressure that's on the driver and and i think the the example that i would use is i've seen operators run uh, sweet potatoes out of north carolina and then bring you know potatoes and french fries south and out of Presque Isle, Maine, right? So if you, if you have a look at that lane, you can be in Bangor, Maine, log off duty, and in the 150-mile radius, you can run to Presque Isle, Maine and back to Bangor without logging any hours. Now, that's that's a huge day, just, you know, that off-duty piece. So it's sort of, for carriers, um, anecdotally, they talk about having to do lots of small pickups at farms. Uh, my experience is when I hold produce in Australia, we did that all the time. Because you, you would pick up, you know, four pallets here, six pallets there, ten pallets there, and that's the nature of it in building a full load for a market for a buyer. Because a buyer's going to buy from a region, so yep. that's just the that's just the nature of the game. And it's true. I mean, and that's one of the things that really sticks with me as an opportunity for brokers is. And I remember in the like I said, the limited amount of produce that I've hauled. I remember working with one farm. I think it was a raspberry farm, and they're like, "Listen, like." Literally, the moment it comes out of the ground, the <laughs> clock ticks right. and the sugar content starts dropping. And actually, it was corn. And I think I actually just learned this from buying corn in Pennsylvania during corn season. And they were like, right. look, like, I think the sugar content in corn drops like 50% in like 48 hours. And they're right. like, so getting it to like the stores and ultimately right. to the plate, there's a big cost to that, to that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other part that kind of fascinated me, and this happened to me, it was like a hundred degree day and I had to load uh, 24 pallets of cantaloupes or what we'd call rock melons in Australia. Rock course, melons. Uh, rock melons. So I pull into the farm, right? And I've got, it's like a nine hour run into the Sydney market. And I pull into the farm and it's like dust and dirt everywhere. And it's a little shed in the middle of this big field, right? And it's got ISO 9002, uh, HACCP, Hazard Analysis Critical Control Point qualification uh, accreditation. I thought, oh, cool. This place has got a really good cold store. They're all set up for food safety standards. Well, the pallets are sitting out in 100 degree heat, and and the guy says, "I want the set point." I think it was, I'm going to say it was like plus seven degrees centigrade or something like that. And he said, "I want it. I want it delivered at that temperature in Sydney." And I said, "Dude, how am I going to pull 90 degrees out of these out of this produce over the course yeah. of eight hours?" Um, Anyway, the, the trick is you just stop every hour and pull it down a couple of degrees. You don't all do it at once. Anyway, but mm. the pressure the pressure was on the driver to do this, and that's the sort of stuff that you've got to deal with as a as a reefer driver. But the um, you know typically what you'll see is that you know there's a lot of pressure on uh, refrigerated carriers to meet really tight deadlines from here until the end of the year more so now because of the pressure on everybody to make margins during the pandemic one of the um takeaway tips i want to give for the listeners here is as you heard about the the temperature discussion right there um ben i know you've always been a huge advocate of the pre-dispatch checklist for a driver right mm-hmm. as a broker you will want to make sure that this is huge right you want to make sure if it's a if it's a produce shipment or anything that's temperature controlled. And again, that's not just reefers. Don't just cool things down. They keep them warm when it's cold outside. Right. So you want to make sure that whatever temperature is required, you make sure you verify that you may want to double, triple check with your customer and then double, triple check with your driver and dispatcher before (laughs) and before that dispatch and throughout that trip to make sure nothing is, uh, nothing is missed. And a lot of folks, a best practice too, is to have the driver take a picture of the temperature unit to show, yep, it is at 34 degrees right now. Okay. Hey Dean, can you um, walk through what you think are at least the handful or the 
big criteria that should be verified and what some of the differences are like, you know, there's shoots for some type of produce, you have pulping some that like, just walk through some of the basics for our listeners, if you wouldn't mind. In terms of equipment selection? Yeah. Like the, like the things that would be needed to verify with a yeah. driver when you're sending yeah. them to pick up and how those things change with the different types of produce and such. Yeah, I think the obvious one is, um, you know, duty status where are they on their 60 or 70? Uh, mm-hmm. Did they have enough hours to run? Yep. I mean, that's, yep. that's a critical piece. Today. Oh, yeah. How fresh are you on time? Where are yeah, you at yeah. loading and how many hours yeah. do you have left? Yeah. Where are you on your 14-hour clock? Uh, you know, do you understand the egg holes exemption? Uh, but most importantly, how much sleep have you had? Like, mm-hmm. you, could, you could be compliant and sound asleep at the wheel at the same time. Like, there's no connection between the hours of service and being running off the road with a load of produce on. Um, I've had plenty of experience at that. It's just there's nothing to hit in Australia. So I can assure you that drivers running, you know, trying to make markets in the early hours of the, the morning, it's a really tiring job and that pressure of not being able to pull up. Uh, it puts a lot of stress on a driver. So it's not not just compliance, but how do you feel? Like, you know, when I ran trucks in Australia, I always listened to a driver's voice because you can tell how tired they are from their voice inflection. And that's, a, if you, you know, if a broker's talking to a carrier on the phone, they're always going to say, I'm fine, I've got plenty of hours, I'm good to go. But what you really want to know is, you know, how much sleep have you had in the last week or last night? Like, are you rested? I noticed you've just come in from San Antonio overnight and we want you to run again tonight. Uh red flags like pop up everywhere in my mind based on, you know, if you've got a driver that's has been working nights and you're trying to get him under a load, that's got to run again on a night and you think he's going to sleep in a hundred degrees in the day. First question is, have you got an AC unit in your truck? Like what are you, what are you, where are you sleeping? Mm-hmm. So to me, that's, that guarantees on time performance because everything goes south from there. If you miss that one. Well, you're right. And those are the things that are correlated, right? Not necessarily, like you said, there's no correlation between hours of service and these incidents, but you see a direct correlation between the subjective nature of asking just human questions. How are you? We just saw that you ran here, right? And I think that our industry gets so focused on the transactional nature and Mm -hmm. the the price and the margins that, and the fact that brokers don't often work with the same carrier again. So they don't get that feedback at the end. Like when you're working with a driver and a dispatcher, the drivers at the end of the day will, I don't want to say complain, but if something's wrong, the dispatcher knows that information very rarely gets back to the broker. And then the broker does it to the next driver because they're not getting that feedback because they're not asking. But you just, you know, if you just know when you're talking to a driver where they've come from, you can do the math in your head and say, heck, this guy's just come in overnight. He's probably going to have 10 hours off today before I before he goes out again tonight. But we know we know from academic studies that if you have a 10 hour break during the day, at most, you're going to get four and a half hours sleep. And that's mm-hmm. going to be broken sleep. So and that's why a lot of drivers complain about the hours of service, because they could be running during some of those daylight hours and then pulling up for a two or three hour nap during the night. But it's with the prescriptive regulations, it's very hard for them. So it puts this additional pressure on them to make good trip times and keep, you know, not bounce the fruit around in the in the trailer by, you know, by driving properly in terms of physically how you handle the vehicle. Uh, but also just to make that deadline, it's, a, it's an enormous amount of pressure. And, and I, as a, you know, I've done 2 million miles as a driver and I can tell you that the, the urge to fall asleep is so strong. It just overcomes every other sense you've got. Like it's just the pressure to fall asleep. It's so hard. Um, you know, I used to joke that I, I, I would pull my nose hairs out to stay awake. 
And uh, if you could see now, I've got no nose hairs left. It'll make it'll keep you awake, like you'll cry. But yeah, but that wears off after a while. And the it things you do to stay awake, um, are, you know, there's a lot of things drivers do to stay awake. But there's nothing like sleep, and that's probably the most important question you've got to be thinking. You don't need to know their duty status or they're going to look at their ELDs. You just got to know that if they're sleeping in the day and they've been running nights you've got a potential, you know, maybe you need to bump out that delivery window or find another load, you know, mm-hmm. that gets them in later, yep. gives them a bit of a nap. That's a great point. And I think that's a, that's a point that a lot of newer or novice brokers probably don't think about because they don't put themselves in the right. driver's shoes experience behind the wheel. Right. So. You know what I mean? Experienced people I know that have never had that conversation that have been in this industry for <laughs> better parts of a decade that don't ask these questions. Yeah. And I think yeah, they're prioritizing from the broker's point of view, like, well, I can't get trucks at all. So, hey, at least this is better than nothing for my customer. The reality right. is, is you're taking on really big risks without being aware of it. Right. Yep. Right. So we and talked, you, um, yeah. how's the driver doing? How's their sleep? That's a big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. We talked temperature. That's an item that you're going to want to make sure that you discuss with them as well. Um, yep. Equipment type, this might sound way too obvious, but do, do they actually have a reefer? Unit. Yeah. I think Ben, yeah. I told the story a couple times now about the guy that sent uh, vented vans with propane tank, pro- propane <laughs> tank heaters in them because the guy didn't have an, uh, a reefer unit. And it's like, yeah, no, okay, for you onions if it's, uh, or, or spuds yeah. if it's under 50 degrees outside, a vented trailer. Right. But, yeah. Now, is there any, is there a, a PPP yes. uh, or a PPE uh, type of checklist that would go with produce that we could think of? Because I, Ben, when we talk about flatbed or open deck, you talk about uh, pipe stakes and tarps and straps and all that stuff. When it comes to the reefer side, um, I feel like it's not as, you know, pallet jack, for example, that's one that yeah. you're going to want to make sure if there's a pallet jack required, right, right. you've got that. But is there anything else that we're, yeah. that we're hopping over or missing here on equipment uh, or PPE? Yeah, having pallet jacked a lot of produce in and out of trailers, shoes. I've been flat on my rear end from the slippery floor. Mm-hmm. If you pull down the temperature in a van that's before a you point. go to load, uh, there's moisture. Condensation, and, and, yeah. And worse if you jack up the, the airbags of the trailer so you get a downhill slope on the produce as you push it forward. Uh, that thing can get away on you really quickly. So, you know, that sort of stuff is um, is important. Um, you know, the, the shoes, the temperature. I would be more concerned about the maintenance of the fridge motor, sorry, refrigeration motor, because, you know, like engine hours, when was it last serviced? Like, you know, is it in good working order? Those sorts of things are probably more important than than the PPE side, because I think, well, I would assume that most drivers now have got that figured out in terms of mask requirement, uh, gloves, you know, all of that um, other requirements that they've got. But I'd be more concerned about the equipment type. So walk us through that because, in, and like I said, in the experience I've had, and it was a few years ago now, is one, I mean, you've got different cycles for a reefer. I know you've got continuous, you have like intermittent, you have different types of shoots that either are in a reefer or aren't right. in there. You've got different right. tracks with inside it. Yep. And yep. I know back then, and I'm, I'm curious, that's why I also wanted to ask you is if this has changed was we used to have to have reefers go to specific centers to get yep. the data pulled off these yep. reefer monitors. Is yep. that still the case? Have they Are they able to do that live now? Tell us a little uh, bit about can, some of those uh, things. You can do that. A lot of it's over the air because a lot of those refrigeration motors have um, a telematics unit in it, like their own modem, so they can transmit data yep. during the trip. So, yes, you can get all of that data online. As to how many smaller fleets have that that brokers might access, I'm not sure. A lot of mm-hmm. big fleets do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's a, you know, that's a part of the business that's probably overlooked. 
the refrigeration people have uh, generally tried to get into the telematic space by providing that connectivity to you know to the internet through the the mm -hmm. trailer. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a big part of it. I, I think a lot of drivers though might not know uh, how to work a fridge motor, especially new drivers, because it takes a little bit of experience. But mm -hmm. it's pretty basic. You know, the air circulation at the top goes along the roof through the chute, down the back door and along the grooves. That's why you've got to keep your floor clean, right? You've got to keep those grooves on the floor pristine so the airflow moves in under the pallets and return and does its cyclical um, patterns. But fuel's a big thing. I moved, and it's just dawned on me now, all the produce I moved were was international, was actually for the military, but they were they had independent units on the cans, on the containers. And that was the one thing that was on back to driver trek list was, always asking the driver, did you check the fuel in the unit yeah. when you picked it up? Because right. one, getting fuel in it, like you needed, I think it was like a 15 foot or a 20 foot ladder to actually put the fuel oh, in it. And when the they would go is, to yeah. on site, um, yeah. if yeah. it ran low, like you couldn't just fill it up. Like you right. needed to drag it either back to a container yard or somebody that had a boom lift to even put fuel in it. Right, yeah, that's a, that would be a catch. I've not had any experience with uh, chassis trailers and those inbuilt reefer motors in the front of the 40-footers. I can imagine that would be rather difficult. I've seen that with, uh, in the LTL world, they would have um, basically like small containers that would hold just a couple pallets that were right. self-temperature oh, um, right. controlled with their own right. Um, right. fuel supply. It's interesting. Yeah. It, you didn't have to yeah. go up on a 20-foot ladder. We, really get, like we ran drop yards with them. We ran drop yards out of like the, it was the biggest MRE producer for the military in Ohio. And we would have 15, 20 reefer units in cans running. And it was like an extension of their cold storage. They would load them up and then we would run drop and pick back to, right. it was right. like one of the few right. instances, like you said, where they weren't live loaded reefer units. They were drop hook cans that you needed to keep refueling because well, yeah. if not. That's pretty right. neat. Yeah. So the, the, um, Ben, you brought up the continuous versus cycling. I want to hit on that real quick. So just purely definition and application on those. So continuous is when it's continuously running. So you'll see this in produce a lot where it has to stay at a certain temperature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cycling would be, uh, think about like your AC unit at your house, right? It's going to kick on if it gets above a certain temperature and it'll turn off once it gets down. So you might have a range. And I think this is mostly applicable in the frozen like maybe frozen meats or ice cream where you want it to stay below a certain temperature right. and it'll kick on when it gets up to that. And then it'll turn off once right. it gets down low enough. So there's right. kind of a, a range, maybe four to five degrees. Um, so I, I think I, I hit that one on the head there. I think that depends on the ambient too. To like the ambient temperature is the, the key part of that. Like if it's, if we're in the middle of winter and it's, if it's, you know, plus 28 on terms of the set point for the load of, you know, diet Coke and it's uh, you know, you might, your fridge motor might, might not even come on because it's just going to be so mm -hmm. well insulated. It'll keep it at that set point, even when yep. the temperature lower. So depends yeah, on great the point. Yeah. Great Let me point. ask you this, so, Dean. We would hear a lot from carriers that they needed more money or would ask for more based on the gas used in their reefer units. How efficient are those? Is that a legitimate reason to be paying your carriers uh, more? Or is that one of those? It's a factor. Like it's a factor. It's not as big as the, the engine up front, right? Because you've got a smaller motor, but if it's extremely hot and you've mm -hmm. got it set on continuous and you're trying to pull a lot of temperature out of an empty van before you go and load. Yeah. You can burn a lot of diesel. So I think it's a legitimate request, um, mm -hmm. but it's not the major part of it. It's, it's an additional cost that you're going to incur in summer 
to, and it also depends on how cool the band's got to be before you load. Well, I just keep thinking when you were giving that 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 story about picking these melons up in the hundred yeah. and some degree heat, and yeah. nine hours later they wanted them to yeah. be whatever forty or fifty degrees lower, yeah. you know, over that period of time. I yeah. pick up like I drink this particular type of water that I pick up from the grocery yeah. store every week, yeah. right? And every time, like if I leave it in my car for a couple of hours before oh, I bring yeah. it in the house, yeah. it has yeah. to sit in my refrigerator for like two days before it's yeah. like. palatable and i'm just thinking like these short windows where these people pick up products that are literally out in the sun and they're going yeah four or five hours we need this to be room temperature and you just don't think about these things a lot of times on the the empty deadhead in you've got the reefer motor going to pull the temperature down yeah just to make it easier for yourself so uh, it's, that's preference. Well, that's a checklist, think, right? Telling your driver right. when you're dispatching yeah. him to yeah. the pickup that he needs to set yeah. his temperature before he gets there, not once yeah. he gets there is another yeah. big one. Yeah, I always did that just to make sure that I didn't have too big of a, a pull-down task when I got the, the produce loaded. It's not like you're loading on a dock where there's a sealed you know, unit with between you and the warehouse. If you're out in on a farm, you're, the ambient temperature is going to get in there pretty quick. So yep. that's, that's key. Produce. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's like this is, we're about to go through something that I think is unprecedented on top of the pandemic is this rate increase uh, that I think we're going to see. I was just looking at some rates right now. Um, one of the lanes I've been watching really carefully is the, where the produce season is starting in South Carolina and Georgia. Rates are already, so if I look at Columbia to Hunts Point, New York, right, which is a big produce lane out of there, rates, uh, three-day rates are already at $4.08 a mile. Wow, that's including fuel. Like that's broker to carry a spot, including fuel, four bucks and eight. If I look at where Ratecast has got rates sitting by uh, June twenty-seven, four forty-seven. Wow, is wow. where they're forecast. So, so I think this is like if you think about the context of where we are, people are dying to get back out. Temperatures are warming up. Restaurants are going to open. People getting more vaccinations. Social distancing, relaxing. You know. Uh, I could see a a lot of pent-up demand for people to go to restaurants, a lot more volume. And on top of that, you've got capacities already tight. So question. And and I want to reiterate this. So if we're looking at the country as a whole, right, and just some of the numbers we talked about in this one, I think earlier was 9,000 less truckloads per week on the basically the food we aren't eating but usually eat, right? So we're way less in the volume of available produce to pick up because we're not going to restaurants. But we are currently in a tight market. So if you think about this, right, Right. normally you have an equilibrium or somewhere in there where you've got a a commensurate amount of trucks with loads and you're probably right right around what, $2 a mile, I would say is normal for around this time of year. Where would you guess we normally should be? Normally. Yeah. Typically over over history. Absolutely. Yep. And we're projected to be double that because once we all go back to start eating in restaurants and going to sporting events and all these things that we haven't been doing, the amount of trucks is not going to (laughs) increase, but the volume of food and truckloads that are going to need to be moved yep. is, yep. I mean, yep. are there any factors that are working in the other side of this that are going to keep rates reasonable? I don't think so. I don't see it. I mean, think back to the last tight capacity market we saw in 2018, right? Rates are already 51 cents a mile higher this week compared to 18 in refrigerated. 
That's right? wild. So, Let that one yeah, sink so, yeah. What is that 84 cents for the of, cost of goods? Like, I just right, keep going so, back to inflation. Like, at yep, the end of that, yep, like, that yep, cost yep. is getting paid by somebody, and it's us yep. consuming these at the, the end consumer. of the day as well. Yep. And, and we've got, don't forget, this is, there is a shortage of, you know, there's a there's an unemployment challenge that every industry's got. Truck drivers are, uh, you know, the truckers are facing trying to, uh, the shortage of drivers trying to find drivers during a pandemic. Um, on top of that, you've got the drug and alcohol clearing house, who's of the 60,000 drivers got, uh, caught with one violation in the last year, 85% have elected not to return to work and go through the rehab program. So wow. 60,000 60, violations, uh, about 50,000, 50, only 9,160 said, yep, I'm going to go through the return to work protocol. So <laughs> think about all of those drivers are now. Oh, there's 50,000 no longer- drivers just not driving anymore. Yeah. So you've got that. You've got unemployment assistance that has, you know, been supporting a lot of people. You've got, you know, competition from other industries that are really struggling to ramp up and find people. Like, so you've got this competition and truckers love to be home. Like, you know, they love to drive trucks, but they also want to be home. So you've got all these other industries looking to hire people that get them home closer. Yeah. And one, I know we, I know we got, we're going to lose you here in a minute, Dean. One point I want to hit on, this is a study I saw yesterday as you talk about folks leaving, leaving, driving behind the wheel of a truck and maybe going to a different industry study that came out yesterday or this week, the, there are more, more jobs of open right now for hiring than there are unemployed adults right. in the United States. Right. Right. So there are more jobs available than there are unemployed people. If you are one of those drivers that chose not, mm. or elected not to go through the rehabilitation mm. program, yeah, it's not like there's any shortage of jobs right, right now. So. And remember, you know, driver turnover rates, according to the ATA, were up in that 90% range for the quarter of last year. I think it was, I can't remember the exact number, but it's around that that number. So, you know, it's an industry that still has a high turnover rate. And as an industry, you know, carriers do, you know, it's a difficult job to convert a driver to a career. And there's a big difference between someone who steers a truck, who's driving a truck in between other jobs, and someone who's a career professional. And that's where brokers can really build good relationships with carriers and drivers that are long-term as professional guys that know what they're doing. And that comes back to, how are you? How's your truck running? How much sleep did you get last night? Empathy. So build, build yeah. those relationships. And I can tell you as a driver, I would move mountain, I would move heaven and earth for someone who showed some interest in me and wanted to know how I was going and could I make it? And when was I home last? And all those sorts of personal things. Great tips. Stuff. I love it. Yeah. Well, Dean, thank yeah. you. Thanks for sharing your knowledge with us again today. I look forward to another, another episode later in the year. Where we can dig into some more, yeah. uh, Thanks, some more market great. stuff. So great to be with you. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to, we're going to transition here into a Q and a section. We've got okay. One big question today, but first we got to mention our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Whether you are a freight agent, 1099, or a licensed broker, and you're looking to grow your brokerage or your operation, and you're struggling with account executives or operations folks doing dispatching roles for you, or maybe it's getting a website built or uh, marketing your company or your brokerage overall, check out our friends over at Lean. It's leangroup.com. We've had Trey on multiple times. They, those guys are, they are booming lately with all kinds of different solutions out there for just about anything you've got in your transportation and transportation uh, job and uh, business. So check them out. Leangroup.com link in the show notes. Okay. Ready for this one, Ben? 
The title of the question is, quote, is this opportunity a scam? End quote. All right. So here's what the guy wrote. He basically, he received an email. So he says, I got the email below and I'm completely new to this. Just wanted to see if this email below is a quote, new guy or new guy foot in the door quote or a pure scam thing. So new guy foot in the door kind of sounds like, um, I don't know. How do you even take that? I don't know. I'll read this here. Then we'll take, you take a stab at it and then we'll kind of get into this. All right. All right. So this position is a hundred percent commission based. We will require you to sign a non-compete, but only as it pertains to customers you obtain under our brokerage. If you have a book of business, when you sign on, you leave with your book of business. Sounds reasonable so far. The non-compete will not keep you from opening your own brokerage. If you choose to do so, we will do a 60-40 split of the profits after the carrier is paid. Okay. To start you off, I would give you a list of shippers to contact to secure your accounts. Once you are comfortable calling shippers, I will show you how to find your own so you can continue to grow your accounts. All back office work will be completed for you to allow you as much time as possible to grow. Your two main focuses will be the shippers and the carriers once they accept the load. If this sounds like something you would like to do, I would love to schedule an interview. Would you be available for a phone interview? All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to, Break this down piece by piece. So scam, I don't think it's a scam, but there's a lot of red flags here. This does, So this is an agent, this is an agent position, okay? Um, 100% commission-based and they're, the bag office is provided for them. It's 1099, it's an agent. There's a couple things here that scream employee to me. And that says, we will require you to sign a non-compete, even, but it's only for customers they brought on under the brokerage. But that... No offense, well, not even no offense, but I, every broker that I know that's successful is continuously prospecting and gaining new customers. And just because they're under someone else's authority, why should they have to say, I can't take that business with me if I were to leave? So you should never be signing a non-compete as a 1099 independent contractor. Further, a non-compete and a non-solicit are two different things. So non-compete means you can't go work for somebody else. Non-solicit means you can't touch the customer's or the accounts or business that you obtained with that company. And if that was the caveat, if the wordage was different, right? And it said, instead of a non-compete, you would sign a non-solicit. That's that's fairly reasonable, which is basically commensurate with whatever value the person that owns this company is providing the brokerage, I'm assuming. I mean, if you're 1099, I'm not a fan of them whatsoever, but I I have seen folks that will say, your customers are yours, but if we give you a customer and there you are. leave, you have to leave that customer with us, mm-hmm. All right? So house accounts. Right, and he, so here's what the guy said too. He said, um, I will give you a list of shippers to contact to secure your accounts. So he's giving you a lead list. I don't Valuable. know. I mean, you, if, you're already a, if you're already a broker, it's, the guy was a broker somewhere else and was looking okay. at possibly moving into this new opportunity. I don't want someone else's leads. If I'm successful, I'm going to continue down my own road and definitely not take a lead from someone who's going to make me leave it with them if I close them because I'm kind of handcuffed to this this guy's operation. Um, And then it says, I will show you how to find your own so you can continue to grow your accounts. Um, Again, it almost to me sounds like this guy is starting an agent-based company and doesn't want to do any of the work himself. 
wants to bring people in to move freight for him and then try to keep all the business once they leave. The other part too, um, 60, 40 split after carriers paid. So typically any reputable agent based company is going to pay you up to 70%. And that's upon invoice to the customer, not when the carriers paid. Mm-hmm. So, but I'll tell you this when, um, you know, we've talked about cash flow before, the reason that a, a brokerage will try to not pay commission to somebody until the customer is paid or until the carrier's been paid is because it helps their cash flow because they don't have to front commissions out to a broker or an agent prior to receiving those funds that that commission is actually being paid from. So um, is it a scam? No, I just don't think it's a very good deal. If you're a successful broker and you've been doing it long enough to to know how to do it independently on your own and you've got a book of business and you know how to prospect and grow your book of business, you shouldn't be taking anything less than, um, you know, the, you should not have a non-compete. You should not have a non-solicit. You should be able to get 70% if you're worth it. And you should get paid upon invoice to your customer. It's that simple with a couple of caveats. If you, you know, some folks will say, we'll pay you upon customer pay because you have a high, uh, you have a very volatile type of freight where, you know, we don't know the exact invoice amount because it's per bag or, you know, based on what the truck scaled at. There's all kinds of things. There's a couple of positives in here though. I would say the positives are if this guy is a new guy trying to get a foot in the door, then the one thing this company or whoever this is that wrote the actual, you know, job description, if they are providing the training, like this person literally doesn't know how to broker, then, okay, this is fairly in line with what somebody would want to teach somebody how to build and learn and operate in the industry. Look at us taking it from two different angles. I, I would agree with you on that one. If they are new and they don't have any experience, yeah, they're, they're going to show you how to prospect. They're going to provide you with a list of leads until you figure out how to provide or produce. Teach you how to lead. cover a load, teach you they're how gonna, to invoice, all of that, right? Oh, yeah. The one downside of that then is you're 100% commission-based. So if you yep. don't have a book of business coming in the door, you're not making a single penny until your first carrier is paid, which is 30 days roughly or whatever. It depends if they quick pay or yeah. whatever after that first load's delivered. So interesting. That's a, it's a good scenario there and two different, two different perspectives of it. So yeah, good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. This is a great episode. There's just, and I mean, everybody goes to work at the end of the day to, make more money. And, you know, with rates increasing, with what's going on in the economy and everything we talked with Dean about, I mean, this is just a tremendous opportunity for brokerages this year. Um, I think for carriers as well. What struck me and that whole conversation was 60,000 people got flagged drug and alcohol and they're required to go through some type of treatment. 85% of those people weren't willing to for one reason or another. They either found employment elsewhere, they were able to live off of some other money, whatever that is. But to me, I find that really surprising because when you hear the next thing Dean said is they're projected to see rates hit $4 a mile by July 4th in some areas, like that's literally a salary doubling in a yeah. lot of areas. Like, how are you not going through whatever temporary thing you need to, if you could double the amount of money for the same amount of work you were doing the rest of your career? Yep. Like to me, I don't understand I mean, why it, people aren't. That was a pretty unique lane, but it still goes to show where it was versus, you know, two years or three Five years, years a half a decade. Yeah. 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 It's a very good point. So we'll see, man. I think you're going to see a lot of record numbers for, uh, the successful brokerages, I think they're going to have record numbers this year. Killing it. 
So yep. absolutely. Because there's a lot of opportunity. Not, and if reach they're not doing anything wrong, <laughs> it's just the one the ones that are good are getting better and they're gonna get more and more business. So absolutely. And if it's you're looking tough. for that competitive edge, you know, Nate and I are going to be doing more and more of that. We've had a lot of our listeners reach out over the past couple of weeks about, you know, wanting some other help, some more guidance, some, you know, advice. Feel free to reach out to us. You know, you can go directly to our website or find us on LinkedIn. I'm at Benjamin at Freight360.net and Nate is at the same. And if you don't know which one of us you want to talk to, you can just do info at Freight360.net and the the wonderful workings of the technological world will email both of us. Mm-hmm. So, but happy to, ha- happy to chat with anybody and just, you know, have a quick convo, learn your situation and see if we, if you know, if it might be a good idea to try to help you get to help you out. So um, good stuff. What do we got coming up down the road here? Episode wise, we got, uh, I don't know. We don't have, it's gonna, next week's gonna be a wild card. Still, uh, Still I've undecided. got some good content, I think. I've got some really good ideas working through some of the stuff I'm putting together. We can chat about it off air, but I um, love it. Got love some it, good love stuff it. I think we're going to be able to put together for next week. Sweet. Well, any final thoughts, Mr. Kowalski? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.